It means seeing your flaws, seeing your accepting flaws, them, accepting and realizing, and realizing I, can I can do better. So these are just a few thoughts to think about on this podcast. So welcome to Winning with Trevor. I appreciate your ears, your minds, and the time that you spend contemplating how you can be successful. How can you be successful? These are some of the questions that we explore in this podcast, Winning with Trevor, the no BS guide to self-improvement. Last podcast, we went over a lot of details about how powerful thoughts are. Thoughts, in essence, are a kind of currency that we can spend in our piggy bank of our life experience. And when we spend our thoughts in a careful and thoughtful way, no pun intended, we get a return on that investment. And getting ROI in this sense is not defined by Facebook ads or a marketing scheme. It's more along the sense that we're always thinking about something. Our mind is always going someplace. And we can be kind of these casual observers, carried along like a leaf in a river, along the stream of thoughts that we have, the stream of consciousness, and let ourselves kind of get dragged down by getting obsessed with kind of the not-so-great aspects of our life, or we can choose to make a conscientious decision to focus on where we dwell. Because, as I covered in the last podcast, while we cannot choose what our instant reaction is to things sometimes, our knee-jerk reaction, this instant feeling when we hear news about something or something happens to us, we can definitely choose where we want to dwell, where we want to focus our attention on. So that was what we covered in our ongoing series about self-awareness. And the four maxims of this podcast are the first one, of course, being success. What does success mean? Is it simply about material acquisition or is it about the person you become in the process or a combination of both? We're also talking about what it actually means to be happy and how that's different from being simply excited and the concept of happiness, we haven't gone too and far as far as, you know, exploring that, but we're going to. It's on the plan. And we're also going to talk about personal responsibility. Those are the one of the four maxims of this podcast is to take responsibility for not just the actions and not just the things that we say, but also the person that we are and how we feel in the moment of something happening. Because that personal responsibility is our leverage. It's how we level up in life and get to a more empowered state where we're no longer just the victim of random circumstance. But we're the, we're the person that says, you know what, this happened to me, but I'm going to choose how I respond inside to map and chart my trajectory for life. But how would you know to do that? You have to be aware. You have to have self-awareness, which is our focus on this now reoccurring theme on this podcast. And so today we have a special guest, my friend Ulrich. Hey Trevor, Ulrich, can you say your last name? I'm sorry, I never get it right. Yeah, it's uh, it's German. Um, you know, English comes from from German, and so the word new comes from neu, and the word year comes from ja. So my name means new year, and it's pronounced neuja. Thanks. So let's just go get into some background here, uh, so all my listeners can get to know you a little bit. Go ahead and let me know um, where are you from. Um. Well, I I, uh, I grew up in Germany, um, and then after high school, I, I moved around a couple different places, uh, a little bit of New York, a little bit of New Orleans, um, and uh, a little bit more of Austin. Excellent. So, on the theme of self-awareness, and one of the reasons why I've always enjoyed talking with you is because you're a very self-aware individual, and when we speak, there's not a lot of 
explaining we have to do about fundamentals. We're both on the same page when it comes to that. And it's very fascinating to talk to you about self-awareness and related topics. Now, clearly, this is not the first time uh, you've had an experience with self-awareness. There have probably been a series of different catalysts or things that have happened in your life when you were younger that led you to become more self-aware than when you started out, right? Because everything that happens in life changes us in little ways. And so I'm really curious, kind of some of the, the hero backstory, origin story for uh, Ulrich with the cape. That's uh, very generous. You know, where, where, where did this kind of originate? You know, was there a certain time in your life, somewhere in your grade school years or when you were a teenager, that kind of let you have this catalyst of, of consciousness or awareness or that sense that there's something more than just living you know, by habit, that being self-aware is something to think about? Um, so I, I do intend to answer your question straightforwardly, um, but I, I actually want to take a left turn. Uh, you said something, you said, as, as though it was a statement, as a fact, you said, you're a very self-aware individual. And I'd like to know um, how you make that determination. Not not to fish for compliments, but I'd like to know, you know, what, what is it, when, when you say somebody is self-aware, and I do think you, we can see self-awareness in, in other people, but I, out, of, out of sheer curiosity, how do you see it in me, or how do you see it in somebody else? Um, you know, I'm deeply honored, I, I, I love to talk about myself, I'm sufficiently self-absorbed to accept an invitation on a, onto a podcast, but I'd, I'd really like to know, um, you know, what, what is it, what, what is the, uh, yeah, what, what is the determinant for you for saying that someone is or isn't self-aware? Well, we all have degrees of self-awareness. So it's not necessarily an honorific title that you are Sir Knight self-aware of the round table. It's more along the lines of, I feel that there is a continuity between our, our lines of thought and our consciousness when we discuss things that relate, things that to, relate self-awareness. to self-awareness. So there's certain ideas that you identify with. It's it's a level of being able to discuss the art of selfhood. The concept of not just being a creature that is created of a series of automated algorithms of our behavioral actions that are programmed into us by habit, but the ability, the ability to step outside of that, blink and say, why am I? Why am I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, self-awareness is a concept that's really broad and not nuanced enough. I kind of view it a lot like intelligence. And, and in some ways, some people actually would say awareness and intelligence are, are tantamount, depending on um, the definition you give them. But I think it has the same problems like intelligence. And you touched on it, that we tend to view it as like this linear thing at the most, that you have degrees of it. Or for some people, it's just binary. You're either dumb or you're smart. You know, you're either self-aware or you're... You're unconscious. Um, and I actually think self-awareness has a lot of problems like intelligence and in that it is most probably three-dimensional at the very least. That you can have aspects of extraordinary awareness and aspects of extraordinary blind spots. And that you can have aspects of intelligence where you're extremely highly developed, maybe with uh, musical ability, maybe with kinesthetic ability as, as an athlete, and other areas where you're extremely deficient. You know, you know, and I, I don't mean to make things extra complicated, but 
the nature of the problem is is semantic. And in Germany, you have this term. It's called Selbstbewusstsein. Selbst meaning self. Bewusst is conscious, and Sein is being. So even the word consciousness is like two words in German. It's like uh, uh, it's like conscious being, right? Consciousness essentially. So self consciousness, Selbstbewusstsein. But Selbstbewusstsein actually in German even though it directly means self-conscious, um, in Germany, it means self-esteem. So, like, think about this in America. And this is, and I, and I you know, I'm going to get all cultural and preachy here, but if we say of, of somebody else, oh, they're so self-conscious, like, what do we mean by that, yeah. right? Colloquially, when we say somebody's yes. self-conscious, right? In philosophical terms, to be self-conscious should actually mean to be self-aware. But it's very interesting that in our world, we sort of relegate self-awareness to a drawer that we only open up when, you know, this narrow field of our life allows us to be self-reflective. We actually take self-conscious people in the United States and we say that they lack self-confidence. Self it's a broad, sweeping, generalizable, generalizing statement that I'm making because I want to sound more interesting. But there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to it. It really should be the opposite. So like people who are extremely conscious of their selves, we should actually be viewing them as potentially more self-confident, right? Because they're sort of willing to look at their 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 shortcomings and their strengths in a more honest fashion. And we sort of have this bias of people who take their insecurities and paper over them, and then we call it confidence. And then sometimes we make a second order mistake and we call it um, self-esteem, right? But true self-esteem would really mean like you embrace your insecurities, you embrace your shortcomings, and you're willing to live conscious of them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one, that's just a jumping off point. Um, my first thoughts on, on self-awareness is that it's a huge semantic problem. Um, you know, the, the, the term of self, the term of awareness, um, you know, if you, you know, and like, if you are self-aware, what is that part of you that's aware of yourself, right? Because you've already used one word, right? Like, you're aware of yourself. So there's the your part, and then you're third-personing yourself. Like, we already don't have a term for the part of you that's witnessing your own self-awareness, it's a really deep semantic problem, and these sound like you know interesting uh, academic things to talk about, but they actually have huge implications for uh, happiness, for for meditation, for self reflection, and and for sort of managing your emotions. Um, and I, I don't want to I don't want to forget your you forget the answer to your question. Yeah, so I was just curious. Yeah, I mean I. I definitely respect your thoughts on these things. It is definitely very interesting to examine the concept of labels and what it means to be self-conscious. I think that that other part of us is our consciousness, the part that's not physically measurable when we die, that is aware of ourselves as being both part of the environment yet separate from it and the ability to have awareness of ourself. Because I think, you know, what separates us from other animals is not opposable thumbs but the ability to be self-aware of ourselves and our connection to the environment. But I was just curious if there was a moment that you remember when you were younger that led you to start thinking more about these sort of things. So a really simple answer would be the first moment that I was conscious of being conscious, if, if, that, if that's sort of one that you want as a marker. Um, 
I don't know how impressive it is, though, because it's one that everyone goes through. So I do remember uh, being my being at my third birthday uh, when I turned three, and I was staring at a red balloon, and I was looking at the red balloon, and I was saying, I'm turning three years old, and I'm staring at a red balloon right now, and I'm aware of the fact that I'm aware of the fact that I'm three years old, and this is my third birthday party, and I realized I... I wasn't aware of my second birthday party the same way. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So even though it's my third birthday party, it's actually the first birthday party where I'm self-aware of that birthday party. And then I said, you know what? If it really means anything, I need to make sure I don't forget this moment of self-awareness. That's incredible. So, mm, I, think, I, I think everybody has those moments, and I think I was just able to... Um, I was just lucky that there was a red balloon that f- sort of focused my attention. Those red balloons. Those, those <laughs> fucking red balloons. You know, when I was three, uh, for some reason, I had this dream uh, every night, and I remembered it. Uh, and it was three red dots that were shaking. And it's the only dream I remember from being three years old. Really? And I remember this very specifically. And I don't know what it is. I have no relation to my life or what that meant. Maybe there was something my parents did to help me go to sleep at night. I don't really know. Are you sure you were dreaming and you, it wasn't just dark with three red lights? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't that. I remember it seeing in my mind's eye, the experience of my imagination seeing something. You know, the truth is that um, that we don't we don't realize how extraordinary self awareness is. So if if I had a, had a conversation with somebody and told them what I was thinking, they would have said like, "Oh, wow, that's." a high measure of intrapersonal intelligence, right? And the truth is we all, at some age, we, we have that moment of like, I'm aware that I'm aware, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely took it a couple steps further because I wanted to make sure I don't, I don't forget that moment. Um, and I was surprised. For me, I had that moment because I realized I didn't have that moment before. It was like, I wasn't turning one, I wasn't turning two, I was turning three. But it was the first time that I actually had a, a self-aware birthday. Um, so I'm going to make a new podcast called self-aware birthdays, self-aware birthdays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, you hit an age in life where none of your birthdays have any awareness cause you get drunk all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man twice the did I answer your question? Trevor, did I answer your question? Not at all. Um, repeat, I was just, repeat it for me. Well, I'm just curious. Like, so this, this experience of being aware of our, ourself as, as a being that is capable of actionable steps to do something about who we are, right? This idea of being aware of ourselves as changeable beings, not just simply caught in a mold of this is our life, this is what we do, this is our routine, right? You know, that degree that through contemplation, through observation, through introspection, through all these layers that are part of what I call self-awareness or self-consciousness. Yeah, yeah. How that level of understanding or awareness or sense that you had, right? Yeah. Just, I'm just curious, like, in what ways that shaped your, your interactions with other people, good or bad or, or in between in gray areas, you know, if you just, if this had helped you at some point, you know? I think, I think early on, and this is where your environment makes a huge difference, I think early on, unless you have an, an extremely enlightened environment, I think self-consciousness is a problem. I think it causes problems. I think it's difficult. Um, you know, we are potentially on the verge of creating 
computer self-consciousness in the next 100 years. Imagine what a horrible life that first computer is going to live until us dumb humans realize that it was actually self-aware, right? It's going to be a horrible existence. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's going to feel like a 13-year-old walking into class for the first time. No. It's going to feel like the only thing that ever existed on this planet is going to feel completely alone. Because we'll be blind to it. So that thing will be self-aware and nobody else will be aware of its, its own self-awareness. That's a huge side trajectory if you get on as far as that No, it's not. Goes. No, you, you, you asked me... Um, you well, asked, I was just curious about your individual yeah, interactions it, with other people. And mm-hmm. if, so, if you felt you know, that at any point being aware had helped you. Yeah, I think there's that young quote, there's no coming to consciousness without pain. So, yeah, I, I like I want to give you black and white answers to these things, but you know, I, I think I think growing up and and developing greater levels of self-awareness, sometimes it might take 10 years for you to realize how valuable the self-awareness you had 10 years prior actually was. And in those 10 years, it can be an extraordinarily painful process. Does that make sense? Growing pains. Growing pains, yeah. But you don't always know that you're growing when you're in pain. Right. We don't always realize the value of experiences until hindsight. Yeah, so that's what I'm trying to say. That as you're going through it, self-awareness sometimes can feel like a curse. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we don't live in a very self-aware world. We live in a world that sort of like affords unconsciousness... Um, at an extremely, seemingly low price, and the price for self-awareness is, is seemingly high. And so you really need to see through multiple levels uh, to realize that, that self-consciousness um, is, is worth, worth the price you pay in pain. Well, so generally the idea, I guess, and maybe I should have explained this more, uh, when, when I speak about self-awareness, I'm not speaking of it in a sense of uh, societal acceptance or rejection. I'm not speaking of in a sense of, of that. It's more of a sense of an empowerment because we have a, a lot of different habits that rule our behaviors when we talk and interact with other people. And when we're not aware of that, we're just kind of slaves to these impulses that govern our whole life. Mm-hmm. And when we go through life, sleepwalking essentially, you know, that leads to a lot of different things that aren't so great. Like midlife yeah. crisis, people wake up in their 40s or 50s and they realize they've been living a lie or they didn't really, you know, take the time to think about who they are, why they are the way they are, what made them that way, and what really would make them happy. Instead of a series of false beliefs that if I have this and this and this combination of this job, this kind of spouse, this kind of car, this kind of house, now I'm happy. They have these things, but that inner work, that emotional development, yeah. wasn't done. And so now they have the service levels fine, but they don't really have that inner work that's being done. And it's like exercise. It's like doing your cardio. You know, it it's it builds up a muscle inside that takes development over time. But most people would rather ignore that. Most people would rather veg out, watch their favorite series, and continue on their series of habits, their automated algorithms that will get them fed, that will keep a sh- you know, shelter over their head, keep them out of the rain. And, yeah, they'll have these things. But that question goes unanswered. Yeah. So when I speak about self-awareness, 
And when I speak about in ways you think that might have helped you, that's kind of the direction I'm going in. I mean, we can go really wide and philosophical about, you know, understanding the bars of the prison to escape it and things like that. Because if we don't know we're in this prison of habits or being a slave to other people's approval or not, right, it's very hard to break free of that. But I'm, I'm more focused on kind of just what can we do to help ourselves improve? And, and one of those things is to be self-aware of who we actually are, what governs our behavior, and what leads to this end result of this life that we have right now. What can we do to tweak that? What can we do to polish our souls? Just a little bit. No, no one has to be, you know, Mother Teresa tomorrow, you know. This is just a matter of saying, hey, could I try a little harder to make my life a little better? Yes, I can. Well, I guess I'll try to. I'll try to hone in on the most formidable event of my life, the one that that really like had the the greatest influence on on me trying to self correct. So um, I had a member in my family that I let down. Um, I essentially let them get get tortured by another family member. Uh, and my, I wasn't afraid of this person who was essentially doing the, the torturing, but my ego cared so much about how my relationship dynamic would change with that person if I intervened that for the first time in my life, my ego was not just at odds, but more powerful than my moral compass. Wow. Um, and you know, I guess the biggest breakthrough for me at that point was that self-awareness wasn't enough that it was extremely fully self-aware in that moment and I realized uh, my shortcoming um, and who I wanted to be but I didn't have physically in me whatever it took to be that person I wanted to be the fear was overwhelming and the fear was entirely non-survivalistic fear it was entirely about ego and I guess that was the first real taste I got of the power of the unconscious because the unconscious is this part of you that largely is stronger than you um, but remains hidden and I think the power of the unconscious will question your ability to your, it'll question your own sense of free will it'll question your own depth of self-awareness because you know is if your unconscious is all that part of you that you're not self-aware of you realize the limitations of self-awareness, right? You also need, you know, awareness of your non-self, you know, however you want to talk about it. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing that I realized that um, my ego, even though it seemed to have served me in terms of, like, morally the person I wanted to be, there was this one moment where my ego was winning and the person I wanted to be was losing, it's that feeling of helplessness I think a lot of people get stuck in for life. But I didn't feel helpless. I felt I felt cowardly. Yeah. Yeah. I felt cowardly and I felt at odds with myself. Like that there was a part of me that wasn't me that was more powerful. So you're afraid? Yeah, but I wasn't afraid of I, it was definitely fear, but I wasn't afraid in terms of, like, a, a power dynamic. It was that my ego cared more 
about this dynamic that I had with the person, but but the morality that I cared about, the pride of doing the right thing, that that wasn't as powerful as my ego. Yeah. Did you seek to develop the sense of rightness inside you? I already had the sense of rightness. As in to overpower your ego? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be different. I didn't want my my ego to be stronger than my integrity. Um, yeah, yeah. What tips a... would you give other people that are beginning to kind of see some, some light, maybe? They're still kind of living a lot of their life by habits, but they're starting to wake up a little bit, peek into this new world of being self-aware. What would you suggest are some good positive lifestyle habits or techniques that you think would help other people that are beginning this journey? Trevor, I think you might disagree with some of my suggestions. Um, I think I, th- I think certain things in this world are extremely expensive. And I happen to believe that self-awareness is extremely expensive. Expensive in terms of the price that you pay for it, in terms of the cost that it might seemingly cost you in terms of temporary happiness. Um, the reason most of us are not self-aware is um, because it's too expensive to be self-aware. It's too painful, right? In the short term. In the short term, absolutely. In the short term. But part of this podcast's goal is to help people see beyond the short term and to help people realize that these habits, that give them short bursts of excitement, yeah. which isn't really happiness. Yeah. It's just a series of ongoing band-aids. Yeah. to place over wounded pride and ego versus actually seeing what's the causal relationship between the perspective that I hold and the quality of life that I live. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you as concrete and as practical advice <laughs> as I can think of. And you might not like this first one either. The first question I would ask yourself is, do you really want to be self-aware? self-aware. And, and I'd f- follow up that one with, like, at what cost? If self-awareness costs you your happiness, and your happiness is more important to you than your self-knowledge, then you need to choose your happiness. Because ironically, otherwise, you're not really being self-aware. But then the real question is, because when you are self-aware, it does empower you to get beyond the habits that make us unhappy. The real question is, is this really happiness, or is this really addiction? to a series of experiences which stimulate our nervous systems, that stimulate us being excited or our adrenaline, and we're able to be okay. But, you know, we'd all stay teenagers if we didn't get through those growing pains of getting older. And a lot of people are teenage adults, and they have never really looked in the mirror hard enough to say, you know what, maybe I don't have to be stuck this way at 16. Yes, it's nice to have cute lies we tell ourselves to say, all right, don't think about that. Yes, I know it's bad. Don't think about it, right? But at what cost, right, for that? The cost of that is that people live a lie. And the cost of that is that their relationships with other people are often injured, and they're kind of wounded, half-limping along like functional alcoholics. And so, yeah, they can get by. It's all right, but it's not really true. True. Help me out here. What are the the four guiding principles you have for your podcast? You have happiness, success... Self-awareness. What's the one I'm missing? Self-responsibility. Yep, self-responsibility, accountability. So, 
um, there's that term in the English language, sin, and it's often has a bunch of like moral baggage, a bunch of like, you're not worthy or you, you did something wrong and, and you're morally lower on the totem pole. But etymologically, sin just means to miss the mark. I think it's an actual archery term. I think it comes from archery where you your arrow didn't hit the target or didn't hit the center. So it just means um, kind of the opposite of success, that you wanted this thing and you sinned. You missed the mark. And, and I think that's where self-awareness is both entirely unnecessary and entirely necessary for success. So success is like one of those words, not as complicated as... I think the word spirituality or intelligence, but success is one of those words where we sort of all agree on what the word means at heart, but we all sort of disagree at what the word means in its totality. Everybody says success is really simple. You achieve the goal that you set for yourself. Right. Right. But then we have a bunch of successful people that sort of don't meet the criteria of all four of your pillars. You know, they might be financially successful, but they don't take accountability in life or they lack self-awareness. Um, or they're unhappy, right? Yeah. And so if you're saying, I want a $100,000 car, let's say that's your goal. Let's say that is genuinely your goal. In terms of self-awareness, I am aware that this is what I want. Do you need self-awareness? I would say absolutely not. I'd say you can get that $100,000 car maybe even faster if you don't have too much self-awareness. Here's the problem, though. You might be chasing another goal, but because you don't have self-awareness, you don't realize that what you really want is that superficial $100,000 car, and you might chase a bunch of other stuff, when really there might be a part of your personality, justified or unjustified, just biology, evolutionary, whatever. Let's take all the baggage away from it. Let's say just egoically you're somebody who it's really important for you to have this $100,000 car, and you have all these ideas. Maybe you come from an overly religious background. But from a biological level, you might have like a high level for some reason to be materialistically motivated. And you don't accept that part of yourself. You split it off. You have some cognitive dissonance. You keep on chasing other shit. Why do you make that, you mistake? Make that mistake? You make that mistake because you're not self-aware. And you miss the mark. You essentially like sin. You sin from like a psychodynamic perspective. And so... You know, you might be successful in a bunch of areas. So maybe that person is trying to be a great father or they're trying to be spiritually successful. Maybe they work for a nonprofit, but they have these baggage load of ideas around money and that like being materialistic means that you're not spiritual. That might leak out into the other four pillars of your life. You might somehow constantly refuse to take accountability for issues in your life that require more financial stability. Because you say like, no, I'm not going to be spiritual if I have enough money to pay all my bills. And then you end up having all these other areas in your life catch up with you. Well, you know, that's where self-awareness is really tricky. It's kind of like the self-involuting thing of like, I really believe in, and I'm sorry, Trevor, like this might be another thing that you, you, you might, I think happiness is one of those things that's very much determined by genetics. I think it's very much determined by your environment. And I think it's very much determined by choice. And I think a lot of people are in disagreement about the fact that all three have a major determinant on your happiness set point. Your equilibrium of happiness throughout your life and your day-to-day, moment-to-moment, instantaneous happiness. 
my genetic set point is definitely melancholic. I'm definitely like a less happy person. I, I'm fine being around happy people. I joke that I don't trust happy people. I think I'm much more funny than your average person because I'm much more unhappy than the average person. You cannot convince me that I'm not funny. I know I'm fucking hilarious, but I also know I'm a little depressed. And I think largely, sure, some of that is spirituality, some of that is just the nature of creativity, um, but a lot of it is also just genetics. You have a, a thermostat of like hormones and happiness. I'm not saying you can't change those, but I'm saying it has a center of gravity. Ironically, all of these things require self-awareness. Like, you need to understand what is the composite makeup of your happiness in terms of genetics, in terms of your environment, in terms of your un unwillingness to change things in your life that have a huge effect on your happiness, right? Like That makes sense. Yeah. We all know money has a huge effect on your happiness in developing nations. Number used to be 55,000, then used to be 60 grand, now it's like 75, 80 grand. Number keeps on going up because we have this great economy, beautiful economy. Bigly and, economy. Yeah. Bigly economy. And so... You know, we do know that money has, in terms of being able to meet your basic needs that you need, you know, that you need to have met in America, more money helps. And that money, 75 grand, that's basically a useless number because 75 grand in New York is like $5,000 anywhere else, you know. I'm exaggerating. It's relative. It's relative, right? But what that number rec represents is your ability to meet all your financial requirements and a little bit to save, and disposable income, right? That's what that number means. That number is almost entirely non-mathematical. It's almost entirely contextual. But if you're not self-aware enough to realize how maybe you have these hang-ups about materialistic desires, which maybe you shouldn't be taking all that much responsibility for. These are largely genetic things. And if you fight those, or you're not in touch with your cognitive dissonance, that might cause money trouble in your life, that might have an actual effect on your biological happiness outside of your genetic thermostat, you know? And so you might end up being more unhappy than you were genetically programmed to be with because you lack the self-awareness to get in touch with your cognitive, cognitive dissonance around materialism, thinking that you're less of a person and less spiritual. And so self-awareness, when I talk about that it's a semantic problem, that talking about this awareness, like, it's really a big deal because, you know, there's extremely self-aware people in this world who are extremely successful in terms of hitting their target, who can take a bunch of accountability, and maybe they're just not that happy. And maybe they're controlling for a lot of the things that they can control. Maybe they're financially grounded. Um, maybe they're doing a bunch of stuff to cause their own unhappiness. But we also need to consider the opposite, that there's some people out there whose thermostat is set at a lower level of happiness. Let's, uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln. Can you really say that Abraham Lincoln just didn't, you know, have enough affirmations in the mirror? That that's why he was miserable. That he was bipolar and he had this physical depression because he just didn't read the right chapter in The Secret. We'll never know. You might say you'll never know, and that's fine. And I'm not saying there can't be truth to that, but let me tell you, for me, his biological set point for happiness was lower. And if you take people who suffer with severe depression or bipolar disorder, the less pressure you put on them to meet this expectation of happiness, the easier it is for them to naturally be happy. Makes sense. And these ideas are extremely counterintuitive. 
maybe self-awareness is even the quantum physics of psychology because the more you're willing to see the separation of self and the mind, in other words, the less mindful you are, right? Like we, in, in, in the West, like when the West talks about meditation, we talk about being mindful. When the East talks about meditation, the same meditative practice, they talk about dropping the mind, right? Unless it's staying at Hans Miracle of Mindfulness. Right, right. But I'm, I'm saying the same meditation, the West is saying, like, you need to be more mindful. And the East is saying, like, your mind is in the way. It's remove a, desire, right? Yeah, remove, remove right. desire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And your thoughts, right? Like, your thoughts are so powerful. Well, is that a feature or a bug? Right? Because Escalate it. Yeah, escalated. No, but I'm serious. Like, I have OCD. I want everybody to know on this podcast I'm fully diagnosed with OCD. And um, fuck Western psychology for telling me that that's just a bug. I've recently, in the last couple of years, decided to take my OCD public. More people think I'm intelligent because it's easy to convince people that you're intelligent just by being fucking neurotic. The bar for intelligence is very low. You just need to look like you're neurotic and people are like, oh, he's special. He's like, he's a genius. But... The truth is, if you take like a, a collie dog, for instance, and you breed them, there's something that collie dogs do. I think they run around in circles, they herd sheep or something. There's something you do with collie dogs. Whatever it is you do, it can be measured. And you can actually approximate perfection in how you breed these collie dogs. And they don't breed perfect collie dogs because as soon as you get a perfect collie dog, you get one with OCD. And that's extremely expensive to have an OCD collie dog because they're spending all this time grooming themselves. And... What I'm saying is, you know, you want to be self-aware of the prices you're paying or not paying to achieve a certain something. And, um, you know, these things, these things come at extraordinary prices. These, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world, their, their price they're paying is like, you know, severely damaged relationships in their family life, in their employee life. Like, there's all these stories of Steve Jobs where people come to him with a, an amazing idea and he says, that idea is shit, you know? He's known for calling people, like, dickless fucks. He's, he's, Steve was extremely severe. I read about some yeah. of this. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, all he does is, like, cry in meetings and he can't handle stuff, but he's often the source of other people's tears. Um... This man is somebody who's extremely highly self-aware when it comes to aesthetic intelligence. This is somebody who can see a shade of blue and recognize the emotion that that triggers in another person, that being a better shade of blue than somebody else. It's undeniably a level of genius, but he's undeniably lacking in self-awareness in terms of like how he's making other people being able to share their ideas. And Steve would often steal other people's ideas. I heard they, about that. Yeah, they'd come to him. He would say, tell them verbatim that idea is shit, and he would come back to that person two weeks later, four weeks later, say, hey, I have this idea, almost in an area of jujitsu creative um, vulnerability. Approach the engineer and be like, hey, I want you to know, how do you feel about this idea? I'm thinking about this. And it was their idea, and the engineer would be like, Steve, that was the idea I brought to you. You said it, would sh you said it was shit. And Steve would just wave it off, and like, yeah, 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 whatever. That is somebody who is severely damaged, probably severely unhappy, has extraordinary self-awareness when it comes to aesthetics, and is extraordinarily deficient in other areas of self-development and, and social intelligence. Um, and that is somebody who was successful 
because of the level of self-awareness they had. Steve Jobs had such amazing aesthetic self-awareness that he never did focus groups. Can you imagine Samsung putting out a phone and never doing a focus group and it being perfect? You know, we had a whole company do that for years and years and years. And at the same time, he is a source of extraordinary unhappiness because of other areas of lacking self-awareness. It's like autistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is why I'm saying, you know, if if what you're looking for isn't integral, isn't complete, isn't challenging, doesn't stress the system, if what you're looking for is a $100,000 car and that is my measure of success and it's not complicated. In other words, if you can pay for that $100,000 car with your happiness, with your lack of accountability, if you can pay for that with uh, without self-awareness, and that's all you need, well, why pay more than $100,000? Why pay with more self-awareness? Why pay with less happiness or more happiness? Like, if that's all you need, you just need this $100,000 car, that's your goal, and you don't want to sin, you don't need self-awareness. But... If that $100,000 car isn't really what you want, or it is really what you want, you need self-awareness to figure out what it is that you really, really want. Um, and and, and I, think, I think it's difficult to admit that we're not all motivated for the same thing. I think it's difficult to admit that we're not all equally ambitious for material goods, that we're not all equally ambitious for, like, beautiful things, you know, other people aren't motivated by aesthetics the way Steve Jobs is. He, you know, he bought an apartment and wouldn't put any furniture in it because nothing was good enough. So he left it empty for two and a half years. I read about that. Yeah, that's somebody who's deeply in love with aesthetics to the point that they can't even move a couch in. You know, um, there's also people that want the same things as each other. As each and, other. And and even though they both define having these things as success, it's for different reasons. Some people. The aesthetics is enough. Other people, it's the symbol of achievement. Exactly. Or it's by contrast for what their family had or didn't have, that now by getting this, they are successful because they didn't become their parents. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, your, your podcast, look, if you are not interested in self-awareness, you're probably not listening to a podcast about self-awareness. And I know that sounds like an easy out. But if you are interested in self-awareness um, and you are interested in not sinning, you have, to, you have to ask yourself for all of these things. Because I kind of like your four pillars. Maybe they're perfect. Maybe they represent, like, maybe they represent a certain like, stability of structure. But implicit in those four pillars, Trevor, is what price you're willing to pay for each of those four pillars. Or how much of those four, each of those four pillars are you willing to pay as a price to make the other one happen? You know, how much happiness are you willing to give up, you know, for self-awareness? Like, how much success are you willing to give up, you know, um, to, have, to have a sense of, like, happiness or not sacrifice your relationships? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I do. Yeah. And I agree and both disagree, which is kind of the nature of our interaction. Yeah. Um, the, the four maxims that I have, just for anyone tuning in now midway through, or most of the way through, is first, being successful in a way that's defined not just by materialistic, but who we become in the process, and being able to take responsibility for who we are, our emotions, and how we feel, 
happiness, the, the pursuit of, without having to pursue, being happy, what that means, and then our theme, which is self-awareness. So I agree and both disagree. I think in a lot of religious circles, uh, especially Lutheran, and no offense to Lutherans, but it's, it's very common to view sacrifice as necessary uh, in order to achieve a godly state. And I don't exactly agree with that. Not that you said this is a godly state. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, no. As a general principle to achieve a measure of success or for momentum, a lot of people feel that they have to sacrifice something. But I still think that is a very dualistic view of things. And I think that if you're focused on it kind of in a holographic way, in a way of like each part contains, you know, a part of the whole. It reflects the whole thing. That if you're moving in that direction as a person, these things come. And I think that it's a it's a process of evolution, right? What what happened in evolution, right? How did evolution happen? There was a mutation, there was a change, there was adaptive radiation. You know, things had to not quite fit. So you know, if if there's a chink in our rusty armor of our illusion of self, right, yeah, that is that kernel, that seed, that mustard seed, yeah, of self awareness, right? It does have to break through, right? Those structures of what we already had up that we thought was ourself or was our definition of success or happiness and maybe it isn't always a sacrifice maybe that it is in some ways but it's actually kind of a, an, an alchemy, alchemy of exchange. exchange it's funny alchemy is exactly i think the um the operative word i think it's the word that requires a shift in consciousness um so i actually fully agree just with if you had said nothing else and just said the word alchemy I would have been okay agreeing with you. Um, I also agree with you that there's this thing in human storytelling and human nature. You hear it from Republicans, from Democrats. It's this idea of, like, he's a hard worker. You know, this idea of, like, if you sacrifice a lot, that your success will be commensurate with your sacrifice. And I do think that's a logical fallacy. I mean, Jeff Bezos is not working a hundred billion dollars harder <laughs> in the warehouse than the person now now earning a full fifteen dollars an hour if Bernie Sanders thing goes all the way. There's no way there's no universe in which you divide fifteen dollars into his one hundred billion dollar net worth <laughs> and then you spit out uh the the difference in work ethic as the only variable, right? Yeah. That's just a, but as ridiculous as that idea sounds, that's the idea at the biological level that we actually believe. We actually believe at a biological level, we have hormones, we have we have endorphins, endor endorphins. I don't know why I almost thought dolphins. En endolphins, yeah. Because <laughs> <As laughs> everyone loves dolphins. Yeah, I immediately thought about like, um, you know, they have these businesses in Cali in California where they're like IV doctors. They give you your vitamins as an IV. Like you go out, you party hard, you pay like $200. These nurses come over and they give you all these vitamins to recover from. <laughs> yeah. And I thought of dolphins bringing you drugs on the ocean <laughs> and dolphins. They're pretty smart. It's not out of the question. Dolphins that bring you your endorphins at a fair price. <laughs> and they do tattoos on the side. Other yeah. source of endorphins. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I'll maybe one day I can start my endolphin business, but, um, you know, at a biological level, that's actually what we believe. We believe that the more pain we go through, the more worthy we become of success. And who knows, maybe that is 
that inefficient mechanism is the most efficient way to reprogram your unconscious. I just know that the unconscious is something that's extremely tricky and hard to work with. What it looks like in reality is often people comparing scars and bragging which is bigger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a big part of it. That's a big part of it. And I think maybe internally we're saying like, oh, that person has all that success, but they haven't, they don't have the scars to justify it. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think there's, there's a lot to that. And I really view the unconscious as this sort of, and maybe it's not psychologically healthy to view it that way, but I think it's this other being that you need to be more creative around relating to it. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's a child and you need to sort of like trick it and distract it. It's a, attention. Other times it's like this overbearing tyrant and no, no matter how much willpower you have, it always has more militia and can overrun you. Mm -hmm. But from a purely physics hardware processing standpoint, your unconscious is that part of your brain that is not entirely under your willpower and it does have more processing power. It does have more neurons. It performs more calculations. It has more emotions behind it. It is from a sheer raw physics perspective of information processing. It is a stronger part of you that isn't you, and it's stronger than you. So if you want to win against something that's smarter than you, that literally, literally has more brain than you do, you need to be creative as fuck. You True. really do. And, um, and in order to be creative, I get to curse on this podcast, don't I, Trevor? Fuck yeah. Fuck okay. yeah. Okay. In order to be... One of the... So, the they're not pillars. They're called four maxims. Uh-huh. And the top, Maxims. Yes. And the title of this is Winning with Trevor, the no BS, you know, guide uh, to self-help, you know, personal development. No bullshit. No, all real talk. So, that's the thing is, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. And sugar gives you diabetes anyways. Anyways. It does. It does, uh, it does give you diabetes. Um, emotional diabetes. Emotional diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, um, in order to win against something that's more powerful than you... So I'm, I'm going to be pretty impressed if you're going to inform everyone how to win against their subconscious. If you got the game plan, please show me the blueprints because we're spinning a lot of our lives reliving past traumas that our subconscious regurgitates and behavioral yeah. patterns and, you know, low achieving success and whatever that is defined by, right? Because we, we're still these puppets of this inner workings of this machine. It almost seems like a separate being that is, you know, pulling the strings, right? So we're trying to fight against that to have our own willpower and this concept that we're choosing our life instead of just running a, a rote program that our subconscious wrote when we had some fucked up experiences as a kid, that we're just reliving in different forms. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what we're doing at Trevor. I, I think so. Yeah, I do. I do have my beliefs on what is instructive or effective and what works really well. Awesome. But the reason why I gave the whole preamble of things of being counterintuitive, language being a problem, language is a huge problem with the unconscious because it speaks a more direct, powerful language than you do and it speaks English, and it speaks other languages. You know, like, what other being do you know where it never had to learn your language, but it speaks your language better than you do, understands it better, and speaks another language that you don't understand, but still communicates it to you more powerfully? Through symbols. Through, through, <laughs> through sheer telepathy. Like, we have a telepathic relationship 
to a being that's more powerful than us and it's stuck in our head and half the time we don't know the difference between it being us and being our unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a really it's a rigged game. It's so really how, how do we hack the system? The only way you win against the unconscious is um it is by doing a bunch of things. So uh, I'll, I'll be really specific, but let's take happiness for instance. Let's say you're extremely depressed and you're extremely overwhelmed and your depression is so deep that it's actually physical that you actually like feel it in parts of your body and it's overwhelming like your metabolism, just every part of you, uh, you know, depression even, um, causes death of brain cells. It can even cause like memory issues. It can affect your focus Think of how deep that is. Okay, we'll go with that. So the first impulse is, I want to be happy. And you take this deep, heavy emotion and you just try to throw a bunch of happiness at it. Right? Like spaghetti against the wall. I was going to I was gonna say like radiation against cancer. But you can say spaghetti against the wall. <laughs> the problem is that, that sometimes spaghetti sticks against the wall <laughs> and happiness really sticks on depression. Um... And, and, and sometimes that's not a bad strategy. Just try a hundred different things and maybe one works against your depression. But that comes with a bunch of assumptions. This idea that like your depression is your unconscious and it's a bad thing and you want to alchemize it into something happy. We often are viewing depression in the wrong light. So for, you know, and I bring up depression. It's the number one cause of disability, mm-hmm. number one drain on resources. And it's becoming more and more of a problem. And also our mental health system is failing at it failing you can see that through all these school shootings you can see that through all the school shootings but most of the school shooting you know perpetrators are not people who are seeing therapists right i'm saying you take people who are in therapy 5 10 20 mm-hmm. 30 40 years those therapists are failing their patients this is something we often don't talk about yeah right you know academically we have this idea you know like if you're in high school or if you're in college um and you take a test, let's say you get half the answers right. Half the answers is an F, right? Half the answers is an F. If we got to a place where half the people who get treated for depression aren't depressed anymore, that would be a major improvement. It would be. Major improvement. Right now we have success rates around 20%. That's ridiculous. There's no area of medicine. Maybe astrology. (laughs) I say that as a joke. That is that unsuccessful. And... Um, so when you're, when you're talking about dealing with issues of the unconscious, the best, um, suggestion that you're working with the unconscious, that what you're dealing with is actually this part of your brain that's more powerful than you, that you need to jujitsu, is the resistance. So this thing, whatever it is that's triggering you, this thing, you know, maybe you see it in another person. And often that thing that you see in another person, that might really be there. But the fact that it is causing such a reaction from you is a sign that you're dealing with the unconscious and you want to use some of these tricks. And, and, and the trick really is to completely give in to the feeling. So if you have severe, severe depression, last thing you want to do is try to fight it and try to throw some extra happiness at it. Last thing you want to do is be like, oh, you know, let me go and watch a bunch of comedies and make sure I can make myself laugh. Sure, you can like do a 10, 20% shift, but if you're severely depressed and you're 20% less depressed, you're still severely depressed. And if you take your depression and you feel into your depression, 
you might not break through immediately into some DMT experience of happiness, but your feelings are actually going to take you somewhere. Your feelings are going to take you to a place of like why you're depressed. Your feelings are going to take you to a place of, you know, what it is, you know, maybe it's something you're really stuck in your, stuck in your life and you're stuck in a rut and you need to change it. You know, we are much more likely to prescribe an SSRI than we are likely to prescribe a change in our lives. You know, there's no other psychological disorder that has a 30% incidence rate. You can't even call something a disorder if 30% of people have it. Like, you know, you wouldn't say like, oh, they have the blue eye disorder. 20% of the people in the world have blue eyes. 20% is a big percentage. You can't call that a disorder. So I would question whether depression A is a disorder and not just a compass to like, in most cases, to fix our lives. So I would say feel into the feeling even more deeper. If you are experiencing intense anger at someone, I'm not saying you should indulge in the anger and take a gun and shoot them, but I'm saying you should feel into that anger to see if maybe that anger isn't papering over another emotion. Maybe, like fear. Like fear. Yeah, fear is the number one thing, right? Fear is an emotion that makes us feel extremely disempowered and, and vulnerable. And if you don't go deeper into that vulnerability, you'll just be stuck at the illusion of anger. De acuerdo. De acuerdo. I agree. Yeah. Giving yeah. in to uncomfortable feelings. Giving in, and I need to be very specific here, feeling in to uncomfortable feelings requires making happiness more of a platonic value than an immediate emotional experience sometimes. Right? Because, ironically, the only way you go from depression to happiness is by feeling your depression more intimately. And that means you're going to feel more pain. Emotional honesty. Emotional honesty. But emotional honesty, we're not even honest about what that term means. Emotional honesty means more pain. Nobody says, nobody talks about this. How do I deal with my depression? How do I, how do I solve my depression? How do I alchemize my depression? The answer is more pain. Nobody wants to talk about that. Well, why is it more pain? Well, it's more pain because it's more awareness. More awareness is more consciousness. You know what more consciousness is at a physical level? It's more sensation. It's more nerve endings. It's more pain. More compassionate people physically experience more pain in their brain. You know, they have more mirror neurons. They're probably smarter. They probably would make better torturers too because they could imagine like what the other person is feeling. But they experience like more pain. And, you know... That, that is a very counterintuitive principle. The idea that, like, you know, everybody says, oh, you're feeling depressed, go out with friends and do a bunch of stuff to, like, work against it. It's, it's, like, it's like throwing, it's like... It's like running towards the fire to get through it. That's what you need to do. And yeah. That's, yeah, and that's against human nature. And that's what I'm saying with it's expensive. Self-awareness is expensive because biologically we're designed to do the opposite. Biologically, we're designed to take toxins and store them in our fat cells. We're designed to have feelings and eat our feelings and take our toxins and our emotions, stick them in the fat cells. We're designed to, when there's a surplus of food, to prepare for the rainy day because we might be starving. And so we have a metabolism that favors storage and not dealing with shit. At a biological level, you have to go against your human impulses 
that are that that rule food and metabolism that rule emotions that rule toxins you know like when you fast and you cleanse yourself you're opening up the fat cell you're taking the toxin out you're dumping it into your bloodstream it's hitting your kidney and what do we call that when we dump our toxins into our bloodstream we call it cleansing i thought it was called drinking on 6th street no <laughs> no ironically that that'll be stored in the fat cell right right but like the cleansing process is more painful it hurts more to heal than it does to hurt. It's the cost of freedom, you know? And I think you make some really valid points. We have to weigh out our options. We have to assess, do risk assessment for how fragile our ego is and how much it's going to cost us to run through that fire to get to that self-awareness. Yeah. So we're now at uh, an hour and some change. Yeah, it's a lot. You might want to make this a couple podcasts. You might want to break it up. Well, I think make it three. I think we're gonna break it up. Not at all, but we can do a <laughs> session before we do breaking one and two. Yeah, do the six step. But listen, I want to thank you very sincerely for coming on this podcast. I hope I, I really, answered your questions, Trevor. I really do. Yes, I have another page in the back. But um, <laughs> so, but but I I want to give something concrete. Feel yes. into your emotions. Okay. And and the breath is extremely important because you can feel your your body more intimately. And, and learning breathing exercises means you feel into your body. Feeling into your body means you feel into your emotions. Feeling into your emotions means you're more vulnerable and you have more intelligence. Like literally, the, your emotions carry information. And, you, and feeling into your emotions means you have literally more intelligence to deal with. And that requires going against your human instincts yes. of self-protection. Right. Of protecting our ego. Yeah. And walking around on tiptoes. Are forcing our friends to yeah. do that as well because any perceived slight is now an instant attack on our ego. Yeah. When if we transcend that, we can actually see true intentions and a better self-perception powered by self-awareness. So this wraps up Winning with Trevor. Ulrich was the guest today. If you have <laughs> any suggestions for future topics to cover, please feel free to comment. Please feel free to also click on the website link and you'll be led to the free ebook, Five Tools for Successful Relationships. And rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have a successful week. It means seeing your flaws, accepting them, and realizing that I can do better. So these are just a few thoughts to think about on this podcast. This is Winning with Trevor, signing off. Appreciate your ears, your minds, and the time that you spend contemplating how you can be successful.